Well, this morning, before we read the passage and get into the sermon this morning, um, I was asked to, and, and, and glad to actually, give an update at where we stand in the hiring process for a new pastor. And so after our leaders here at the church kind of did some thinking, and then we throughout the summer had a survey that was out there and many of you gave us wonderful feedback that's been helpful to think about what that role and position could look like. Um, We feel really confident that the the right role to to hire uh, is an associate pastor of connections. So connections has to do with um, getting newcomers involved and then those who are, are involved helping them follow Jesus well and become potentially leaders at the church. And that's a, it's a role that's missing. It's really easy and wonderful to come to our church and be greeted, but then what, what do you do next? And so that's what we feel like the role and position um, would fit us and serve us really well. And so we've assembled a search team to do that. There are six of us on the team. Two of us are what we call our pastor elders, the, the leaders here of the church. So I'm on the team as well as Scott Elder. And then there are four others. There are dozens that could have done it really well. Um, and so four said yes, <laughs> uh, and we're thankful for them. So Melody Sullivan, uh, Shonda Chapman, Daniel Went, and Tony Pitts are all going to Uh, Six of us are going to be meeting together Monday nights here for several weeks in a row. And so our job will be to um, advertise for a number of months and then start narrowing uh, for a month or so and then sort of zeroing in and handing one candidate, hopefully, back to the pastor elders. Uh, And then we'll hand that candidate off to our membership for affirmation. And, and so all of that might take six to nine months. I hope it takes six weeks. It won't. <laughs> um, it just won't. Churches move slow and, and sometimes that protects us, sometimes it frustrates us, but that's, that's how it will be. And so the job description is on our website. So if you want to go there, you can see it, what we're looking for. If you have people you know that might fit that or in pastoral ministry, feel free to help us advertise. Um, it's at other places around the country, different seminaries and job boards. And so, so help us and pray for us. We meet for a first time tomorrow night as a search team. So we would, would love it if you would pray for us. As we turn our attention to God's word, um, I'll mention there's a certain excitement about beginning something new. Uh, There's also an excitement about finishing something strong, at least I hope to. So after 15 sermons, we now have our 16th and final sermon through the letters of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Um, Some of you, when we started, were like, I've never even heard of Thessalonians. I don't know what that is and what it means. Hopefully now you know at least a little bit more. It was based on a city uh, or letter originally written to a city called Thessalonica. And these two letters were written to them, but in a sense written to us to encourage us of what, a, what it means to follow Jesus, who he is, why that matters. And so we're going to read the final installment of, of, of the letter, and then I'll pray that God would be our teacher. So this comes from chapter 3. It's in 2 Thessalonians. Uh, if you have a Bible, feel, of course, free to turn there, or it'll be on the screen where you can follow along. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 6, all the way through the very end. Now we command you, brothers, meaning brothers and sisters, the family of God, we command you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. 
Because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. And do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And this is God's word. Thanks be to God for it. I invite you to pray with me one more time as we begin to study this passage. Heavenly Father, I think every time as we sing that song with the refrain that you have no rivals, what we're saying is that you as the creator of the universe have no legitimate rivals to your fame and your glory and your power and your might and your goodness. And yet, you have rivals in our hearts. Not legitimate rivals, but Lord, I know that there are those things in my life that compete for allegiance with you. And that's not right. So I pray, Lord, as we study your word this morning, that you would dethrone the idols of our heart and put in place instead your rule and reign for our good and your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, as we get into this passage, what I, what I want to do is bring you into um, our pastor-elder meeting from the other night, just sort of as a fly on the wall, so to speak. So there's a handful of men in our church who have been affirmed by our church to lead in the spiritual direction of this church. I think that's in the tradition of the, the, the New Testament, and, and so I think we have good grounds for doing this. Um, and so we meet every other Wednesday for three or four hours. It's a long meeting. It's not, <laughs> um, I mean, sometimes it's fun. Sometimes we laugh a lot. Other times we talk about hard things. And, but we eat a meal together, we pray together, and we discuss what God seems to be doing here among us. And as many of you know, in fact, I probably were reading between the lines, even if you didn't know, there was a pastoral transition this summer, which is why we're going to be hiring for a new position. Now, I think, and I think many of you think this, that leading up to that transition and flowing out of that transition, given that there was a transition, it's gone exceptionally well. We celebrated a faithful pastor. We commissioned he and his family to a new calling. We identified needs that we have here. We've realigned several staff roles with gifting and passions. And then we've put in place um, a team to help us reload as a staff. These are all good things. And when the transition was first announced, I know 
There were many apprehensions and fears I had on my own. And, and I think, at least in large measure, many of them have turned out to be nothing more than just insecurities on my part. People keep coming. You keep coming. <laughs> uh, we haven't gone to one service yet. People keep giving. People keep wanting to join small groups. A few weeks ago, we had church baptisms and a picnic where we celebrated 20 years. And, and there were five individuals and, and two young ladies even. And some who are new or to this, not just to our church, but to this country. And they testified to our church and extended family what God has been doing in their life. The way Jesus has changed them. These are all wonderful things. But that's not to say life has been easy. That a tailwind is just pushing us along as we run downhill. There have been things that have been hard. And the transition, I don't think so much has caused different, some of the things that I have in my mind, but, but so much has surfaced them. And I've been watching our pastor elders, the leaders of our church. These are godly men, men that I admire. And they've got their sleeves rolled up, their sweat on their foreheads. They're working hard, but there has been a thinness as they've been stretched. We've been stretched. There's been a weariness. And as we met a few nights ago, we discussed, as we usually do, the prayers that we're aware of for our church, and we prayed through some of those. But I just asked, I said, guys, can we just pause for a moment, go around the room, go around the table, and just figure out, like, what's going on in our lives that we're all dealing with, that we could be praying for for each other? And I'm not going to relay the specifics to you. Because those specifics were there said for the men in the room. But I can say in the generalities that one uh, father has passed away of the men, of one of the elders. Another father-in-law has passed away. There's one elder in our church who, who has one father who's sick and one father-in-law who's very, very sick. One of our elders has a fall season where he's going to travel a lot, more than he would hope. It's going to pull him away from his home and his wife and his daughter more than he would hope. And he's prayerfully hoping that this would still go well. Another man, his job kind of puts him in a scenario where he's standing in behalf of those who um, are being accused of things often that they haven't done and he's got to stand in the gap. Another man at our church is short-staffed and he's trying the best he can to train up new leaders at his organization and yet it's six months it takes to get them up to speed and so in the time being he's just got to make do. All the while there's health challenges. Some of us have had a slew of different conver- difficult conversations with those we care about. Others are fighting the temptation to become bitter and selfish when they should be selfless. <laughs> and selfishness looks more enjoyable. And it's hard. And I could go on. And we did for 45 minutes in prayer. And I know right now if we stop church and we kind of just huddled up, there's probably enough to keep us busy for six hours. There's a lot going on in this passage which I hope to explain in a moment. But I think the central encouragement to us comes in this short statement, do not grow weary. Verse 13, 
Paul writes, and I think it's a good way to end the letter after a ton of challenges and encouragements. He ends in verse 13 with this central command. As for you, brothers, brothers and sisters, the family of God, the people who have their sleeves rolled up and are serving Jesus together in this ordinary church, Paul writes, do not grow weary in doing good. This is Paul's encouragement Inspired by God, I think, to share it with that church and I think to share with our church this morning. The temptation to lose heart, to become weary, is very real. One pastor told me once, there's more than one way to quit. You can quit by actually quitting and you can quit by just staying there and phoning it in. As we look at this letter, we realize That Paul was telling them to keep serving Jesus while people persecuted them. Chapter 1. Keep serving Jesus even while false teachers come into this church and try and confuse them about the return of Jesus. Which has been a central um, issue across all of the chapters that Jesus is coming back. But there's like this confusion. These people that look like good teachers come in and try and confuse the church. And so what do we do with that? Well, that's chapter 2. And then Paul says, well, keep serving Jesus even when you're working hard at a day job and others mooch mooch off your generosity, detracting from the community. That's chapter 3, the passage we're in this morning. And they're thinking, why should I? Why should we keep going? Maybe that's a question you're asking this morning. Why should I keep going? Why should we keep going when it's so hard? As we talk about this passage, I want to do so kind of in two cuts. The first one, I want want to talk about the the specific problem in view, and then Paul's solutions to that problem. But then, after we cover that, briefly, five, six minutes, I want to stand back from that and say, what's the bigger issue? Like, what's going on across both of these letters? What's the problem? What's the solution across all? So we kind of of give the 30,000 foot view because I think that's in some ways more relevant to where we're at as a church. So let's start here with the particular problem. The particular problem that this church was experiencing in chapter 3, honestly it's the the most straightforward of all of the passages in the letters of 1 and 2 Thessalonians. So let me tell you what it is and then I'll read a verse to show it again. So the problem was that some in this church refused to work. And they didn't want to earn their own living. And their idleness was becoming a strain on their community. And not only the strain on those who were working hard, more than that, the reputation of the church was at stake. Like, they were already weird for being Christians. I mean, some of you, if you're following Jesus, you're weird to your friends. You're weird to your family. You're weird to your coworkers. I, tr- I just want to assure you, these Christians were weird in their own society. And so on top of that, they didn't want to be confused as being weird for them not working. Or at least those who were legitimate Christians didn't want to be confused for that way, and, 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 but more than that, in a much bigger way, not only was their reputation on the line, God's reputation was on the line. It's, 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 a, it's a strange thing that God has done in building a church. If you've ever put someone in charge of something, you delegated, you kind of like watch it pretty close, right? And God is watching his church very closely, but you think the authority that Jesus gives in wrapping up his own reputation with us is very strange and very gracious and very odd in some ways. 
And so God, in his wisdom, he instituted uh, leaders like Paul then to write letters so that he didn't just kind of let the churches fend for himself. He does work among them because his own reputation is tied up in their reputation and their hard work. So that's the problem. Look with me at verses 6 and then I'll jump down to verse 11 and 12 just to encapsulate the problem again even though we heard it read already. So verse 6 and then 10 and 11, or excuse me, 11 and 12. Paul writes, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness, it's a phrase I'll come back to, and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. Verse 11 and 12. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So the problem is pretty clear, right? Idleness. Might have other names for it. One Paul uses is idleness. There's a few plays on words here in this passage, like walking in idleness. Sort of like driving in idleness, right? You can drive in idleness, which means you're not going anywhere. You're using gas, but you ain't going anywhere. These people were walking around, doing things, none of it's productive, and then Paul speaks of being, not, not being busy at work, but busy bodies. They're doing things, but not anything productive. And that's the problem. The one thing we don't know is why this was happening. That's really the one question that really hangs across the passage. We don't know why this was the case. Some theologians speculate that the themes of chapter 2 influenced the idleness in chapter 3. So in chapter 2, it seemed like Jesus was coming back right away. So Jesus is coming back right away. Like, why work? I've got some food in the fridge. Uh, Why put money in my 401k if eternity starts tomorrow? Right? Just not work. Just hang out. Tell people Jesus. I don't know if they were even doing that. So maybe that's one possibility. The other possibility is that in Greek culture, there was um, this disdain for manual labor. And so those who were engaged in it were frowned upon. And so, believe it or not, perhaps the church was being influenced by culture. It should never happen, would it? So maybe that was the issue. Or maybe it was just the general reason anyone in any culture at any time for any reason would want to avoid work. So we, we, we just don't know. But what we do know is that the problem is clear. Some didn't want to work. And so are the solutions. I'm not going to go reread all of the verses again. But Paul puts forward these solutions. He says, when I was with you, I worked hard. I, I could have drawn my own salary from you. That's common for a missionary to, to, to receive benefits from the people um, he's pastoring. That's not a bad thing. It's not a wrong thing. It's a good thing. But because I knew this was going to be a contentious environment about money, and after I left, I sensed that people were going to criticize me for just being money hungry, um, I didn't draw a salary from you. So I, I got a day job, and so in my free time, I labored among you. Sort of so, I could say that if I did that for my day job, then certainly you could do that for you, not to then have time for ministry, but just to eat. You can do that too, he says. And then he speaks directly to the person or people who are um, in idleness and he encourages them not to be that way and then he looks at the whole community says look if this doesn't if this keeps up go ahead and just draw back from those people still love them care for them they're probably still christians but but let them know that this is wrong 
And so it's kind of a, a mild form of what some call church discipline. He wants them to know that Christianity shouldn't just influence their Sunday mornings, but it actually has something to say across Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and so on. So again, I'm not going to read all of those, but that's the passage. That's the main point. That's the problem. That's the solution. But I, I do want to read verse 10. Uh, I, I think there could be a misunderstanding, so I, I want to be real clear about something. Verse 10, there's an important word not to miss. Paul writes, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So, so notice that word, willing. Paul is not reprimanding good men and good women who just want to work, but can't for whatever reason. There was a layoff. There was a health challenge. There was, I, I, I don't know. He's not reprimanding them. What he's talking about, those who, uh, not that, that want to work but can't, but those who can work but don't. Now, if I felt this was a significant issue in our context, like our pastor elders every other week, we're getting together, we're like, good, golly, look at all the, the laziness we got here in our church. We are not doing that week in and week out. That's, that's, that's rare. I think that the big idols in our culture actually are busyness, not under work. I mean, I think, you know, if you want to tell someone how important you are, it's like, you don't have a clue how busy September is for me, right? Which is sort of this backwards, like, look how important I am. Like, I think, and that's a different sermon, that's a different passage. We could talk about that at a different time. So I I, I don't think this is our big deal here. So I, I, I want to move on. I mean, if it was, I think, a big deal, I would, I'd go to the book of Genesis You know, what you have in Genesis is setting up before sin enters the world. Adam and Eve were supposed to work. Work was a good thing. We go to Proverbs like, that's the wisdom literature in the Old Testament where we see hard work and diligence are good things. Again, I, I just, I could, I don't know that that's our issue. What I want to talk about is the bigger issue. That is true, it's a bigger issue for our church or any church at any time. So to do that, I want to, go look at a few other passages. So if you have a Bible, flip back with me to 1 Thessalonians, the very end of the first letter Paul wrote. If you don't have a Bible or you don't want to flip there, no no big deal, it'll be on the screen. Chapter 5, which is the end of the first letter, so we've been teaching through the second letter. This is how he ends the first letter. It's a slew of commands. So verses 12, I'll just flip there myself. Chapter 5, verses 12 through 22, slew of commands, is how he ends his first letter. We ask you, brothers, brothers, sisters, the family of God, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, Help the weak, be patient with them all. And I'll just read faster. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Always rejoice, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the, excuse me, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. There are a lot of words there, aren't there? Paul can't possibly expect us to obey every one of these, right? 
I mean, surely these are just suggestions and guidelines. We're not, I mean, we're just supposed to get the gist of things. Did verse 14 stand out to you? Read it one more time. Verse 14 says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Again, this is the first letter. Admonish the idle. See that if there's people who are among you and they're not working, pull them aside. Say, I love you. God loves you. But you can't keep this up. Work is a good thing. You must change. That's what it means to admonish the idle. Now, okay, so there was a lot. Go back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11. I've already read it. I'll read it again. Chapter 3, verse 11. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. For we hear, Paul writes. <laughs> Evidently, Paul got word between his second letter and his first letter and second letter that idleness not only was a problem, but continued to be a problem. He had told them to admonish the idle, and either they hadn't done it or they hadn't done it strongly enough, and now this seeds of idleness had grown. So not some small problem, but something much larger. And that's the problem. That's the bigger problem. So, so what I want to say, the first part of the sermon I was talking about, okay, the very specific problem has to do with work and idleness and, and all of that. But the bigger problem is how we relate to the word of God. The bigger issue is fidelity to the word of God in all that it says. Paul expected them to do the things that God instructed them to do, just as God expects us to try to do the things that he commands us to do, every single command. There are no throwaway lines in the Bible. We're not supposed to just kind of get the gist of things and then make it up for ourselves. Some of you have heard me talk about my ordination paper I've been preparing now, the ordination paper is this dense 40-page paper I've been writing. It's 15,000 words. I don't know. That many of you don't think in terms of word count. Um, like if an email is longer than an inch, you feel like it's long. So this, this is long. Um, super dense. It should probably be longer. But the ordination process in our denomination is you, you write a 20-page paper and do a two-hour oral exam. Then you have to do three years of gospel ministry in a local church. Then you do it all again. I've done four and a half years um, because we were doing a building change and things were just too crazy, so I couldn't get back to it. But I've gotten back to it now, and I'm going to kind of, I've written my paper, turned it in, um, October 8th, four-hour oral exam. Um, some of you actually, uh, bless your hearts, I think 15 to 20 of you have told me you're going to take a half day off or however that works out, come up to Allentown uh, and watch me get pummeled <laughs> with questions for four hours. That Again, I said this before, but some of you must either really love me or really hate me to, to look forward to that. But because the ordination paper is on the brain, um, the, the, the way the paper is structured, we have a 10-point statement of faith. It's very short. You could read it probably in five or six minutes. Um, it takes a lot longer to unpack it, which is why, hence, it's a four-hour exam. But I want to read number two um, in that 10-point statement of faith. It's about what we believe as a church about the Bible, and I think it reflects what this church right here believes about the Bible. So it goes like this. We believe that God has spoken in the scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, 
through the words of human authors. As the verbally inspired word of God, the Bible is without error in the original writings. So, the original letter Paul wrote, that without error. The complete revelation of his will, so God's will for salvation. And the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. Therefore, it is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. The Bible is to be believed in all that it teaches, we say, obeyed in all that it requires. Ben Bechtel and I were talking in the church offices uh, on Thursday afternoon about some of our biggest takeaways from the sermon series this summer. And, and if you've been here, you've probably heard us, the, the repeated emphasis on the return of Jesus. If you bring up these letters in pastor circles, it's just common knowledge like, yeah, that, that, that's a big part of these letters, the return of Jesus. I think that's been encouraged into many of you. Some of you have pulled me aside and said, thank you for doing these letters. Thank you for encouraging us that this world is not our home and that Jesus is coming back and things will get better. One Christian, a mature Christian here at the church said to me, you know, this, this summer it's been like listening to a song that he loves but doesn't hardly hear anymore. All that's true, but what Ben mentioned to me was that his main takeaway from First and Second Thessalonians has been the view of God's word on display in these letters. Last week, I read a few verses from chapter 1. I, I want to read them again because I think more than any other place, just these few verses really show the way the word of God functioned in this local church. 1 Thessalonians 1 and uh, chapter 1 verses 1, 1, excuse me, 4 and 5 and then chapter 2 verse 13 go like this. Paul writes, For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. In other words, we didn't just preach at you words like you changed. Things were different about your life six months later. And then going into chapter 2, he says, We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So I've been moving around and saying all sorts of different things. But, but what I'm trying to show is through all these details in this letter is that they heard the word of God. They loved the word of God. They were changed by the word of God. And they, they heard something in Paul's teaching. They go, that's true. And, and it's true in such a way that, Paul, you're speaking to me. You're writing to me. And I don't think it's just you who are writing to me. I think God's speaking to me. And he's telling me how much he loves me and cares for me. And this good news story about Jesus is real and powerful. Something more is going on in your words, Paul, than just your words. Now, no one has this type of authority today. There's no man or woman who can stand up and speak for God with perfect purity. In fact, the only authority I have as a pastor is to stand up here each week and try and say, okay, I think this is what this part of the passage is saying, so I'm going to say it to you. (laughs) Like, next week, I think this is what this is saying, so I'm going to try and say it to you. The week after that, I think this is what I'm trying to say. So I'm trying to say it to you. Isn't God great? Isn't Jesus awesome? But that, that, that's really all I'm trying to do. But 
Paul and these early disciples, they were commissioned by God in a special way. They were, God raised them up and gave them a special purity and insight as they wrote, not everything they said, but, but when they spoke um, in their letters, there was a certain purity to it. There was a, there was a helpfulness. There was a truth to it that was written for our good. So that's why we study the Bible each week. So, what does that have to do with anything? The bigger issue in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 was how do they relate to the Word of God? There's this real specific issue of food and not working, but the big issue is the Bible. Look how often in this chapter the Word of God is referenced. Verse 1, just all excerpted here. Verse 1, 6, 10, 12, and 14. Paul says, pray for us that the word of God may speed ahead and be honored, as happened among you. So he wants the word to go ahead and be exciting and awesome in these people's lives. Coming down to verse 6. For we command you that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness, and not in accord with the tradition that you received. Now that's not church tradition, as that word is used there. That's, that's apostolic tradition, meaning Paul is an apostle. He, he taught with a clarity and power. Verse 10, for even when we were with you, we gave you this command. Verse 12, now such persons we command. Then verse 14, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person. Our church denomination says about the Bible that it's to be believed in all that it says and obeyed in all that it requires. What I want to say to you is that that's not some abstract church dogma written by men who live in an ivory tower. It's written by men and women who are just trying to make the best sense of places like First and Second Thessalonians. And say, what is the word of God? How does it function in the life of God's people today? Well, my guess is that many of you who come to our church... Um, don't chafe at that idea that, that God's word is to be believed and obeyed and enjoyed. Um, in fact, some of you, you'll pull me aside occasionally and say, I'm here because you guys teach the Bible. Stop teaching the Bible, I'll leave. And I'm like, that's good. <laughs> it's good. But my question to you is this. This is where we're going to end. Could there be a weariness to doing the good that God requires? Yes. Does following God sometimes mean hard things? Yes. Does following God sometimes mean having hard conversations? Yes. Does following God sometimes mean being weird to people we care about? Yes. Not because we are weird, necessarily, but by virtue of us following Jesus, we are therefore automatically already weird. And is that hard? Yes. Can that be wearying? Yes. Which is why I want to look at you and just say, keep following Jesus. Don't become weary in doing the good he calls us to. Look how Paul ends his letter. He ends by saying, now may the Lord. Now that language, now may. That's prayer language. He's praying for them. He's praying for us. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. 
A benediction is this name for a certain type of prayer. It doesn't matter if you ever remember this. But a benediction is a prayer of blessing. It's supposed to be this prayer prayed for the good of the people you're looking at. And Paul is looking at this church, so to speak, and he's praying a prayer of benediction. He's wanting them to thrive. And the only thing I want to say here at the end is this. That that doesn't come out of nowhere. For an entire chapter, Paul was saying, be... Be loyal to the word of God. Follow the word of God. Trust the word of God. Do everything that God says. And then he ends by saying, may the peace of God be with you. May the presence of God be with you. May the grace of God be with you. That's not schizophrenic on Paul. Now, if he had said, follow your heart. You be you. May the peace of Christ be with you. Right? That would be inconsistent with what the Bible has to say across all of the scripture. But instead, Paul is saying, no, the word of God is for our good. Following Jesus, though it is hard at times, is for your good. And as we do that together as a church, then the peace of Christ is with us. Then the gospel is alive among us. It's a place where we can be broken and weary, but God's spirit can still work among us changing us, conforming us to his image and encouraging us even when things are hard. We've gone long. We, we started late this morning. There were some things going on. What I want to do, we normally would close in song. This morning, I want, I want to pray for us real quick and then send you out with a benediction just as um, Paul did for this church. So join me in, in prayer one more time. Heavenly Father, I thank you That as a pastor, uh, I don't have to come each week going, well, I don't know what I'm going to say next week. I do wonder that question, but there's always something there. There's always something in your word for our good. Lord, I know there are some here who are very new to this. Um, and they're wondering, like, what would it mean to change things in your life, to, to, to follow Jesus well. I, I just pray that as a church we could be helpful to them. Lord, and for those that are here, are here, they've got their sleeves rolled up, they're serving you well, and there's a weariness to that, whether at home or in their work or just here at church, that your power and your peace and your grace would rule and reign among us. And Lord, we, we could go home and sleep at night knowing it's not our busyness, it's not our strength, it's not our effort that's going to sustain this church or our jobs or our finances or our fa- health, but your power, not ours. You are the Savior, not us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Again, just in the interest of time, let me read uh, this closing benediction to you and then we'll be dismissed. As Paul writes and prayed for them, I want to pray for you. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you and all God's people said, amen. You're dismissed. Have a wonderful week.